Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Uh, fantastic. How about you? Uh, all right. Thanks for your patience tonight, and also to the listeners who like the immediate post game, but uh, a <clears throat> yeah, bit of a delay like getting going it's on me, but... Uh, but uh, let's get going. Indeed. The other night we had it done and then I for, forgot for two hours to post it. I got <laughs> distracted. I think I had to clean the kitchen or something. These things happen. Is that your energy drink, Bruce? It's No, it's just the San Pellegrino Arenciata Rasa. Very nice. Sharp tasting. Sparkling water. What was that, that show from England, The Dark Mirror? Did you ever watch that? I don't think I did. That sci-fi show that was kind Sounds of like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's, it, I, and they had an episode called San Junipero, mm. which is one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in the last decade. Mm. I won't get into it because it's quite okay. a story. Yeah, I would recommend that episode of The Dark Mirror. I think Thank it's you. Black Mirror or Dark Mirror. I can't remember. All right. Bruce, this is our... Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast plus one conundrum on the Edmonton Oilers 4-3 victory over the, percentage-wise heading into the game, the best team in the NHL, the New York Rangers. For the second game in a row, the Oilers came back from one goal deficits heading into the third and scored four goals in quick succession to win the game. Quick this is, succession. It's, an, it's astonishing. It was fantastic against New Jersey. It was even better in some ways tonight because John, it looked like they were going to get goalied again by Jonathan Quick. And all of a sudden, um, he, you know, one of the goals from Kane, Evander Kane, was kind of a weak one. And uh, even the Fogel goal, maybe. But he, he, he suddenly looked very human, and the Oilers got a much, 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 much needed victory. They're now five points out of the final wild card spot with a game in hand mm-hmm. on Arizona. Right. So Bruce, we'll do two good things each. What's your first good thing? Yeah, well, I will go with uh, Warren Fogle, who I dumped on a little bit last night for his puck management. And I, during the course of action tonight, I may have said a thing or two about that, but uh, uh, overwhelmingly positive. He played a very, very strong game. And uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, I actually heard the post-game interview, and one of the times I, w- I wasn't happy was when he tried to pass on a two-on-one, and he said he went to the bench, and uh, uh, one of the coaches said, "You got to shoot more on that play." And he said, "So next time down, I went down, and he said, it's not, I don't like looking looking off Leo.'" <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that makes more incentive that you better make your shot if, you, if you're not. But he did look awfully on and it was the right play to do. And he made a fantastic bullet shot into uh, into the corner uh, of, of the net on, on the fly. Uh, in the third period, I can't remember if it was just before that or just after, he had a deflection right off the goalpost in tight that easily, I think it was... He, he hammered that shot off the post, was actually. Two, it was It was... A, it was a, it was a. Drysdale uh, put it on net from the side. He ran. Uh-huh. Drysdale kind of oh, right. ran to okay. the net, and Fogel was there. Fogel was there, and there was a rebound, and he just he hacked that rebound on net, and it slammed off the post and go in, which was frustrating in the moment because yes. it was still two to one, or just wait, what was the score at that point? It was uh, one one, I guess. 
at that point. Yeah. Yes. I think right so. there anyway, but he, he got the big 3-1 goal and then he made a big play on the 4-1 goal, which at the time seemed a little bit window dressing, but, you know, no leads enough in this league. And I'm sure glad they got that fourth goal uh, in the end, you know. So, uh, and he made a terrific play there, driving the puck hard to the net and then not giving up on, the, almost scoring, and then not giving up on the rebound behind the net and finding a way to to uh, pop it out in front to uh, uh, to Ryan McLeod. And he's sort of, uh, I, I I would tag team them as a good thing, actually. Uh, McLeod, who I thought was excellent last night, was excellent again tonight. And he scored that fourth goal by actually going to the front of the net and stopping and waiting for a puck to come out front, which it did, and which he promptly stuffed in the net, which I think a lot of people have been saying for a while, that's how you score goals in this league. And it's nice to see uh, execution of that uh, uh, what I what I liked even better about Ryan McLeod tonight was there was a play in the first period where Ryan Lindgren, who is a very tough, hard-nosed defenseman for the Rangers, absolutely crushed McLeod going full speed. Just as he was coming over the Rangers' blue line. And my first thought was, boy, well, I wonder how much more we'll see of Ryan McLeod uh, in this game. You know, nothing injured, but maybe just taken out of the game a bit. And to his absolute credit, he got right up and he took a run at the nearest Ranger, who was number 22, Johnny Brodzinski. And he hit him, you know, it wasn't a, a Ryan Lindgren hit, but it was a good hard hit and knocked him down. And it was like saying, yeah, come at me, bro. You know, and that's, boy, you, you love it when it's a young player starting to exhibit that kind of thing. And he's now got five goals in his last 10 games. So, yeah, he's you know. coming on. I mean, they may keep him there for some time now. Left wing, you know, right. to have two lines that can score um, is would be amazing because the top line is an amazing line. But to have Drysaddle finally getting going because he had been in such a slump with of Kane and Brown, who who were both slumping at his side, you know, and dragging him down. Frankly, um, it's nice uh-huh. to see Drysaddle. Getting, I don't think he was involved in any of the scoring plays. He but got zero he, points, and uh, and the boys each got two on the wings. I mean, what are the odds of yeah. that happening? He did have one wicked executioner shot on the power play. I can't believe that did not mm-hmm. go in. And there's another play I can't believe that didn't go in, and Warren Fogel was involved in it, Bruce. It was on the penalty kill in the second. When Fogel uh, drove the puck up the ice and um, put the puck uh, over to Connor Brown in the slot. And Connor Brown somehow, oh. it was it was the other than dry settle shot. It was like these were two huge, dangerous shots. They were they were both just labeled, and Brown was coming in so fast. He got off his shot. It was a hard shot right at net, but Quick was in the way, so Connor Brown couldn't score. But that was a very nice play by by Warren Fogle as well. Bruce, I think he's an underrated player. I think he rubs a lot of Fogel rubs a lot of people wrong. I, I don't. Part of it is there's a group of people who never want to give Ken Holland credit for anything, and they want to they want to put Warren Fogel in the bucket of failed signings from Ken Holland. I just I don't think I'm mind reading this. Well, they just traded Ethan Bear for him, and Ethan's got a big fan club, and rightfully so. But as I say repeatedly on such trades, don't blame the other guy that came in the trade. He didn't do it. Well, I think Warren Fogel's worked out better for the Oilers than Bear did for Carolina. For you can make instance, that case. Fogel's here, still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bruce, in the last year, 
okay, the first um, two years, I guess, year and a half that he was here, yeah, Warren Fogle wasn't great. He was mediocre and he wasn't living up to his contract. He was just okay, barely at best. Mm-hmm. This calendar year of 2023, he has been the order's second best two-way winger after Zach Hyman. He has been doing his job defensively and he's finding a way to drive that puck up the ice, forecheck like crazy and get shots, dangerous shots on net. Now he doesn't, he hasn't gotten a lot of points and, um, you know, he's not like Hyman putting up the points. It's because he can't, he, he lacks, he's lacked a little bit of finish, um, a lot of finish around the net. Like he's just not a, he's not a great goal scorer. He tends to slam it right in the goalie. So, but um, if you put him with Dreisaitl and um, on the right line, he could get more points because he's just creating such havoc in the offensive end and getting uh, popping pucks and getting them in the right place, getting them on net, um, that he's going to help your team win uh, and he's going to get some points in those games, and he did as he did tonight. I gave him a nine tonight. I thought mm-hmm. he was. I thought it was just uh, an outstanding game from Warren Fogle. Mm-hmm. I gave really high marks tonight all around, Bruce. I just thought it was such a great win um, that uh, nice. lots of pe- lots of people got eights and sevens. So mm-hmm. it was quite. Yeah, was well, what did, what grade did you did McLeod get? Eight. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah oh, he, seven. He was seven. Seven. Okay. Seven. Well, he got a goal and assist. Plus one, and he was uh, now in his last ten games. He's five and two for seven points, and plus seven. The two ten games, so he's he was coming from so far down. You know, three assists through twenty one games. That's going to take him a long time to get get his you know season numbers up. But uh, he's he's making big strides. So credit where due. He. He, um, the two, uh, he was only involved in two grade A shots and there, and he got points on both of them. So, you know, you could give him an eight. That would have been fine too. Someone could give him an eight. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, disagree with that. I gave him a seven. If he had just, Fogel, for instance, was in, he led the team in shots on net. He was in on, um, six grade A shots. Um, Mm -hmm. most of them were really, really dangerous. So he could have, he could have had another point or two. Um, First, my good thing, I'll start off with Stuart Skinner. That was his best game in a long time. And um, he, in the end, he outplayed Quick because Quick broke and he didn't. He had, Skinner had lots of pressure on him. And, um, you know, the game was one nothing heading mm-hmm. into the... Uh, third period and um you know he made he made some really really big stops um one on mika zabanajad on the power play uh the, the puck went to zabanajad at the side of the net and he just had to put it in and skinner got over there and got his stick on it i think and at first i thought darnell well, nurse yeah i did too I thought but darnell was... nurse had stopped it but no nurse didn't and it was just Skinner getting over there. It's you know you've got to be lucky on a play like that. If Zabanajad puts it elsewhere, he's not going to stop it. But he 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 got it. And then he there was another one where uh, it was a two on one, and Chris Kreider got a big shot on net, and he stopped Kreider, and that was a huge save as well. Um, there was another moment uh, where he on the power play where Zabanajad put one off his mask, 
And I, and I, Jack Michaels, I thought made a really good point. I think it was Jack who was suggesting, you know, he, he can't read Skinner's mind or anything like that either, but he was suggesting that during the broadcast, he, he thought a year, a year or two ago, Skinner wouldn't have thrown off his mask after getting beaten in the face like that. He would have, he would have probably tried to keep in the play, desperately tried to keep in the play and follow the play. But as a more veteran player, he realized, okay, you get hit in the mask, conk like that, just knock your mask off. And the refs will accept that as um, the play stopping, which is exactly what happened. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. He's just guessing. But I thought it was actually a, a fairly astute guess. And um, go ahead, Bruce. His strap broke on the oh, shot. It did. And when well, the strap like, breaks, the, the, hel- the mask starts moving yeah, around, and it's also easier to toss it off your head. Like when it's all strapped up, he couldn't toss that if he wanted to. But because its strap was broke, and I think it's a pretty, I think they teach it in goalie school. You take one in the noggin, you, you try and get a whistle as soon as you can by uh, yeah. losing the mask. Maybe he could, if the strap didn't break two years ago, he wouldn't have been able to get it off so easy. But who knows, Mike Smith seemed to get his mask off pretty easy on a regular basis, mm-hmm. as I recall. So uh, I'll take it as a savvy <laughs> veteran move. It, it, it's huh. close enough. Anyway, that was a big moment because because the, the range the rebound oh. had gone to a ranger and they had slammed Tanner it. Tanner Aaron, yeah. So that was Skinner, a good save. Yeah, the one that with his head, like he had to come head. way across, and that was a rocket. You know, you can in front of it. Zibanejad is a good player. Like he's a dangerous hockey. Yeah, player. I enjoy watching him. He's very good. Um, so Skinner, um, he let in a couple late goals. Uh, but I just thought he was he was he was outstanding this game. Just had a great game, and I gave him an eight for this game. Well, the official three stars were number one Stu Skinner, number two Warren Fogle, number three Ryan McLeod. So we both already covered all three stars. Perfect territory. First good things. <laughs> what is your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, it's going to be the comeback, and the the. Uh, uh, the order is sort of sticking with it. Like the first period was very frustrating. And I commented that it was like uh, they were playing with an India rubber ball on the ice rather than a frozen puck. The way that thing was bouncing around out there, nobody could get a hold of it. The passes weren't getting through and the Rangers were clogging the lanes. And that damn Jonathan Quick is in net again. That's been stoning the orders for 15 years. <laughs> it was kind of, But you know where I thought it turned even though they didn't score, was that late in the second period, Oilers got two power plays, and the first one was good, and the second one was fantastic. It was really quite amazing that they didn't score. They created so many outstanding chances, and McDavid was doing his all-over dominating the puck thing and recovering all the loose pucks so that the Rangers couldn't clear the zone. And Edmonton did everything but score, and I, I'm thinking, well, either Quick's just got the, the magic elixir tonight, or uh, Oilers are they should actually gain some confidence from that. And then uh, sure enough, it was um, McDavid himself who made the fine play that sort of sprang the tying goal three minutes into the third. Uh, He he made a terrific rush up the boards and a hard backhand pass to Hyman. And he did the one, two with Ekholm back to Ekholm, back into Hyman, Deke roof job. That was a really beautiful goal by all concerned. Uh, except possibly quick, couldn't make the save. Uh, and that was at 3.07, and once again, they just kept coming. Last night, they got uh, 
They got three in 69 seconds, and tonight two in 70 seconds. Uh, 417 was uh, Kane's goal off a face-off. And it just sort of came out of nowhere. And you think, well, that probably wasn't the 10th best shot on net the Oilers had in this game. But that was the one that happened to solve quick. And they just, speaking of quick, they just kept coming quick. 636, 952. So goals in the 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th minutes of the uh, third period. All four goals within just five and a half minutes. I don't think Quick recovered after Kane's goal. It wasn't a great goal. He should have had that, probably. And he knew it. And he knew it. He let let out a bad rebound play. It was a muffed kind of... um, play on the first shot that goes right back to quick. And yeah, that was fantastic to see because <laughs> you always want to see the other team give up a bad goal. It's a, it's a, it's a real correlation. I think to losing is giving up mm-hmm. a bad goal. It's, it's just, yep. it's crushing for that team. And then, yeah, the orders got two more right, right after it. So there you go. All scored by wingers, at even strength. So Hi- Hyman uh, and Kane. And then uh, of course, McLeod, who's playing wing Fogel now. And McLeod, and yeah. Fogel. And so one from the first line, two from the second, one from the third. Nice balance scoring. My good thing, Bruce, is Zach Hyman, um, who started it all off. And that was such a crucial goal. I mean, the orders have been in the second period, late in the second period. They had a power play where it was a miracle. Some it was a not, it was a negative miracle they didn't score it was like how did they not score they had they just needed the puck just to bounce a little bit different on five different occasions i think on that power play where they were going to be wide open for a re like a goal off a rebound or a pass and it just never bounced their way and uh, they often didn't even end up with shots because of Mm -hmm. that on that power play but man they were putting on the pressure and you just i was just thinking oh no not again first What's his noodle? Vasilevsky. Then um, um, who was next? Sorokin or was it Sorokin? Uh, no, it was Bob. Oh, Bobrovsky, then Sorokin. And then I thought, so. th- here we go again. Jonathan Quick is going to be the fourth guy who's, uh-huh. who's taken a game. So the Oilers didn't deserve to beat the Islanders necessarily, but they could have easily won those other games. And... Um, and here, here it's going to happen again. The orders are really playing well. Uh, by the end of the second period, they had established they were the dominant team in the game and looked like Quick was going to get them. But Zach Hyman found a way. And that was after he was one of the people in the second period who had been stoned. McDavid on a power play had mm-hmm. slipped the puck with a beautiful pass to Hyman in the, in the dead slot. And Hyman uh, couldn't score that time on Quick. But the early in, the, in that period... Um, McDavid made a fantastic rush uh, up the ice, put the puck back into the middle of the ice where Hyman got it. Hyman put it over to Ekholm, and then Hyman did what he does. He went to the net. And Ekholm, it was Ekholm's pass this time that was beautiful. Right through the uh, King uh, Rangers defense to Hyman. And this time, instead of just shooting it, Hyman made an absolutely gorgeous deke to his backhand. It's kind of his trademark move. He's got a, he's got a couple, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this is probably his best in tight on the goalie move if he can execute it. And did he ever? He got off a hard, high backhand shot off that deke and he beat beat, uh, the unbeatable Jonathan Quick. So huge moment in the game. And um, 
Hyman engineered it both in the passing sequence and with his uh, finish on that on his uh, excellent shot. Yeah, that was a, that was a gorgeous goal all the way around. That old backhand deke, uh, right shot, uh, taking it to the backhand and sticking it right up in the top of the net. That's the old Yari Curry special. Yari used to do that a lot on breakaways, or he just plays in yeah. tight to the net, quick it over to the backhand. He'd always put it right up under the bar, at least when he was successful, he did. And, and it was uh, pretty hard to stop because, of course, he had about nine other ways of beating you, too, when he wasn't doing that. <laughs> well, yeah, he, uh, I do recall him making that play now that you mention it, but his, you know, his trademark was the, uh, his own version of executioner shot, which was the executioner yeah. shot version one mm-hmm. was Gretzky to Curry and version mm-hmm. two is McDavid to Dreisaitl. So Hyman has 19 goals now or 20 goals now. 19 plus tonight. Oh, it's, it was his, uh, I see. It was his uh, 30th game, the team's 31st. 19 right. goals, 30 games. Yeah, he missed one game. He was ill. Good work, Zach Hyman. Mm-hmm. Bruce, your bad thing. Yeah, uh, just really the last, from the last TV timeout to the end, it got way more nerve-wracking than it needed to, I thought. First of all, the refs, uh, right at the TV timeout, they called a penalty for someone coming in over the blue line. And I wasn't sure if it was McLeod or, or uh, Fogel they called it on because the two of them just sort of touched the guy with their sticks and they decided that was hooking in a game where lots worse was nothing. And sure enough, Rangers pull the goalie and Oilers' nurse just misses the empty net from like 150 feet. And Rangers come down, they get one in the crease and Stu can't find it and they tap it in. And there's still like four and a half minutes to go, and you're sort of going, I'm sort of going, uh-oh, that's a long time. And Oilers did pretty good in the uh, in the time in between. Zach Hyman, your man, and Hyman had a great shift protecting the 4-2 lead where he took it all the way to the end boards, and he just worked, worked, worked the puck along their end boards, which is exactly where you want the puck. And... Uh, and then in between times, though, the Oilers were getting all kinds of chances to score in the empty net. Kane tried from the wrong side of <laughs> center. I thought, I thought it was kind of a selfish play, frankly, but it was like he didn't need to ice it, and he did. Uh, anyway, uh, then there was... Uh, McDavid. One, yeah, well, Nugent Hopkins had one. McDavid set him up right in the circles. Oh, yeah, that's right. Circles. I don't know how in the hell he didn't score. Well, and I, I never saw the replay. But, two uh, box shots, yeah. And two then McDavid box. wins a race to the icing by like 20 feet. He's ahead of everybody. And I think he's just going to pick it up out of the corner, drive hard to the net and tuck it in. And instead he sort of picked it up in the corner and came out slowly from the corner to like a foot above the goal line way off to the side and just try to thread the needle from like a very difficult angle and he hit the post and so still four to two and someone else had a shot at it maybe Hyman had a chance at the empty net and they couldn't get it through and anyway it's four two four two four two and then uh, uh, there was too much nervous seconds after that, where the Oilers couldn't clear their own zone, and there was still time on the clock. Luckily, they uh, they had a two-goal lead because Rangers scored with zero point 
0.05 seconds on the clock. I think it was switching from 0.1 to 0 when the puck went over the line, it looked like to me. Anyway, it was a real late, real sleazy goal. And if that had been a tying goal, it would have been just murderous. But uh, thankfully, uh, all it did was it spoiled the Rangers' record. They were saying they're 9-0-1 in one-goal games. All they had to do was not score there, and they would still be 9-0-1. <laughs> Too bad, Rangers. You just lost a one-goal game in regulation. I don't think they could. About <laughs> Probably, that, but. Certainly not. It's just one of those things that occurs to strange brains. Kane needed to take a bit more time. He had, I think, had a bit more time and make sure of that. And McDavid, I think, when he it struck me, he might be exhausted at that point in the game um, when he rushed down the ice to get that puck because he he could have taken it behind the net or, um, you know. Usually he would shift out in the front and deke a few people and make sure that he scored, but I think he might have been really tired. Who knows? Uh, Bruce, my bad thing is the start of the game, the first period. Now, I thought the owners were going to lose the game uh, watching that first period. I thought that, uh, like, earlier today I was talking to one of my buddies and I said, I think the owners are going to win tonight. Like, I just think... McDavid can do it single-handedly. They're desperate to win. They need to win. Yep. So I just think they're going to find a way to do it. But in the first period, I lost, that feeling evaporated because it just seemed like the Rangers were all over Edmonton. And when it came to five alarm chances, the most dangerous chances, the Oilers had zero and the Rangers had three of them. So um, it just seemed inevitable that there was mm-hmm. going to be a goal against the Oilers. And, um, of, of course, there there was a goal. It was a, a brilliant play by Mika Zibanejad. Um chipping the puck, wedging the puck, like, you know, it was like a pool shot. That, uh, you know, the, where the, the, the cue ball hits like five different walls and then hits the ball and nudges it in the net, except in terms of degree of difficulty, because <laughs> it's his hard pass around the boards and he chipped it out. It reminded me a little bit of Messi and Anderson, their famous play where Messi or Anderson would be going around the net and they drop it back to the other player. The yeah. other player would, would slam it in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this was a planned play or something they've done before, but it sure seemed like that. And he he chipped it back. And Ekholm got caught going the wrong way. Skinner got caught going the wrong way. McDavid was uh, slow on the back check and they put it in. I liked Laviolette's strategy, Bruce, of putting the Goodrow line, the fourth line, against the McDavid line. And it worked. For the first couple periods, it worked. Um and I just wish, I, I just think, why does an Oilers coach do that? Like, you want to get good matchups? Well, put a checking line. Just go to three guys who are checking hockey players, smart checking hockey players, and say, listen, we're going to rely on you to shut down their top line. And the work rate and the effort and the commitment that you'll see on defense from that line, I think, is astonishing. And that's what we saw from that New York Rangers line. That was a big part of it. They were outworking the Oilers. That line was outworking the McDavid line, and the McDavid line got scored on that period. So, um, yeah, that was a rough start for the Oilers. And um, Skinner made most of the saves in the first and second period, except for the one shot mm-hmm. to keep them close in this game. Mm-hmm. But the Rangers could have easily been up two to nothing going into the third, and I don't think the Oilers would have come back from two to nothing uh, against New York tonight. Probably not. You know, David, this game reminded me a lot of the uh, Winnipeg game 
on November 30th, where the Oilers were going to take a five-day break after the game, and they finally won a game uh, after the start of their winning streak, and this was the third of their winning streak, or the fourth. They'd beaten Vegas in the shootout the game before, and they were down. Winnipeg got a power play goal in the first and was one nothing, and Hellebuck was stopping everything. And Skinner was stopping everything to keep Edmonton in the game. And it went into the second, deep into the third period. And finally, that time, Connor Hellebuck broke. Yeah. And Darnell Nurse beat him from a, you know, from a screenshot from outside to tie it. And then the Oilers won it on a late power play goal. And it was the exact same kind of vibe, you know, going on a long break, scheduled break, five days off. So much nicer to do it with a win and a loss, and in each case, they came from behind, one nothing down after the second to uh, to get the job done in the third period. And both times, Stu Skinner was the main reason it was only one nothing and not two or three nothing after the second, right? So, because uh, if he'd been, you know, average, but the way Hellebuck was playing, Edmonton would have stood no chance. But what he did was basically match Hellebuck, uh, save for save, and eventually the Oilers uh, managed to find a couple and. Uh, Stu got the job done, and he got it. He got it done tonight, even that late goal notwithstanding. Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, I got to go with Oilers' fourth line in this game. You're talking about how uh, how Rangers entrusted their, you know, Barkley Goodrow line to go up against yeah. the Tufts. Well, Edmonton's fourth line of James Hamlin between Adam Ernie and Connor Brown had uh, glaringly poor results other than the main one, which is they didn't get scored on. So let's start there. This is at five on five, and I'll, I'll pick Connor Brown because somehow he managed to have even the worst results on the line. His Corsi in this game was at five on five, zero to 15, shots 0 to 7, scoring chances 0 to 8, great uh, high danger chances 0 to 3, like they were just getting caved on possession. And uh, the other guys had uh, one shot each when they were on the ice, and uh, and Brown not at all. And as you mentioned, he did some nice work on the penalty kill and damn near scored. And five on five isn't the whole game, even as some people tend to really focus on it as if it were. Uh, 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 but in this game, at five on five, he and his line mates uh, got caved. And of course, he was only in there because uh, Sam Gagne got got hurt last night. And so they, you know, he got a ticket back into the lineup and they put him on the fourth line and that's what happened to it. So... Good news is, as I said, they survived without a goal, and that was uh, that was key. It wasn't pretty. Brown made a good play in the first. I have to say, there was one mm-hmm. they, that line was hemmed in in the first period, and he essentially willed the puck out of the Oilers' end. Yes, I remember that battle, and kept battling until it was out. It was a huge moment because they were getting they were getting run. That's that where line, a bunch of those courses happened was on that shift. Yeah, there was two shifts, I think. <laughs> Basically we're talking about two two of their shifts went really wrong. And um on that shift I think they'd already let uh two grade A shots on net. Um if I'm not mistaken. Uh I think it's that shift. But Brown got it out in the end. Might have been that anyway. 
Um, so good play by him in that regard. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mind Brown's game. I thought he was, uh, he thought it was, uh, had some good moments. But he of course. He does make good defensive plays. Yeah. But there's like, not, and early in the season, like he had good numbers. Like the Oilers are pushing the puck and it just seems a matter of time it's going to start going in. But since he came back from his injury, they've been on the short end of the shots and the chances and so on. And I wonder what his injury was and <laughs> still slowed by it. Anyway, it'll be good for him to get some time off perhaps and rest up and come back at it again. Bruce, yeah. my number is, it is the... It is um, 148 to 85. 148 to 85. And that's in the last 11 games. The Oilers have had 148 grade A shots at even strength, five on five, or not at even strength, not five on five. 148, and they've given up 85. This is a level of domination at even strength. It's hard to imagine how good the Oilers have been at even strength these last 11 games. They have been just kicking butt. And tonight it was 11 to 8 at even strength. So against the best team in the NHL, they they got the best of the in strength battle. Hmm. Their defense, their six defensemen, I think, have really stepped up and are playing outstanding hockey, almost to a man. Uh, Some of the best hockey each of them has played in his career. I mean, I didn't see Ekholm's career in Nashville. Right. But certainly in Edmonton, Ekholm has just been playing fantastic hockey. Bouchard's out of this world moving the puck. Darnell Nurse has been playing some of his best hockey. Cody Cece stepped up. And Kulak and Deharnay are playing well. This whole group of six defensemen, I think, are um, killing it. The first line is killing it. Some of the bottom line players are killing it. They haven't had the second line going, but uh, like when I when I totaled up these numbers, I had to check them two or three times. I couldn't believe it because it's so it's such a level of even strength domination. Um, it's damn impressive, and it's and it's weird that the Oilers have been able to to lose <laughs> lose some games when they're dominating like that at even strength. It just shows there's more to hockey. There's special teams and there's goaltending. And there's puck luck and finishing plays off, but um, that is that is great even strength hockey in the last eleven games for the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, you can probably go back a couple games before that, and it would. Yeah, like I think games nineteen and twenty, they they won in a walk. Yeah, uh, they shut out Washington, and then they stomped Anaheim. And yeah, then, it's even more, probably even bigger, like a longer streak than just yeah. 11 games, maybe more than that. Well, they're 10 and 3 in those uh, 13 games. Yeah. And it seems like they could be better than 10 and 3. Yeah, doesn't it? It does. Actually, I mean, when you chance the other team by 2 to 1, you should win most of the games, not just two thirds of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, Especially when and you've overall. got their power play, and you've got their power play. So, uh, yeah, I do. I think the orders are. This was another reason I was thinking. Like the orders, yeah, yeah. Of course they can win tonight against the Rangers. The orders are this juggernaut right now, and they're not necessarily always getting the result. But this is a really good hockey team, and they're playing that way. They're just they haven't, you know, won every game they could. But 
they're they're in every game. You know, the one game they they looked bad was the Islanders game, but um, this is a this is an excellent hockey team at even strength, and uh, it should translate as the season goes on into a high rate of victory for the team, well over. 600 winning percentage probably something closer to you know two out of three games um that they could win for the rest of the year i think yeah they're they're dominating a lot of games and it's been pointed out for quite a while and and some folks say you know statistics are for losers you know and they, they because it happened so repeatedly at the first part of the year it was unbelievable they come out and they outshoot somebody 80 to 30, you know, and they come out on the short side of the stick. And we just saw it again with the Islanders. And sometimes you just shake your head. But uh, shots aren't great. Eight. Like the, that's the thing though. Like um, the five alarm shots have been similar, although they were 10 to 10 tonight. They were, they right. were even, but the five right. alarm shots have been double in the last, in the, in the 10 games in that 10 game segment, the five alarm shots at even strength, the owners doubled the opposition in the first run of games under Woodcroft. No, the, the opposition had more five alarm shots than the Oilers did. So it was a different, I know they were out shooting teams, but they weren't getting a better, the, 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 the higher shot quality. It was, it was uh, very close. The Oilers were very close to the opposition. And when you factored in and then goaltending, the Oilers were not surprising they were going to lose some games then. This is different though. This is just an utterly dominant performance by Edmonton. Well, in their last, stretch of play. their last 13 games, they've had, uh, they've been over 60% in most of the fancy stats, including, finally, goals. Uh, and this is just five on five, but the Oilers had, uh, well, 57% of the shots, which is really good, 60% of the goals, 60% of the expected goals. Finally, they agree with one another after so many games where, well, we had 80% of the expected goals and we lost 3-2. How'd that happen? Uh, you know, and it, it the, the last for over a stretch of games, you need a stretch of games for those stats really to mean anything. Uh, and it was 60% expected, 60% actual. And of high, uh, high danger chances, 62%. And that's sort of equivalent to our five alarms or certainly our grade A, 62%. And we had, what, 65? So, either way, yeah. anything over 60 is fantastic in this. Yeah, it really is. Category. It really is. All right, Bruce, the conundrum. The conundrum is this. The orders may be looking for a boost in the next little while, making a trade. Maybe like for a big third or fourth line center or winger. Um, or for another goalie, a backup goalie, another goalie. And, um, you know, I think if they can pull that off, that's a great thing. And when you're, when you have these great hockey players, you want to do what you can to, um, help them win the Stanley cup. I'm not against that. The trades last year that happened at the deadline, I wasn't against that, those trades, one of them was they brought in um, Bugstad, Nick Bugstad, and um, big center. And he played well for the Oilers, especially in the regular season. He was okay in the playoffs. But one of the things you have to think about in these trades is, what are you giving up in terms of prospects? And the Oilers gave up a player called Michael Kesselring in that trade. And just right now, Bruce, 
before our eyes and the owner spent years developing this player and he looked to me and to you and to many others like he was gonna be like had a real chance at a decent nhl career because he's big he was fast super competitive and a smart hockey player right now michael kesselring is making some real noise in arizona he's played um 16 games for them now he has three goals five assists and eight points he's a big six foot five six foot uh right shot defenseman he's plus four in those games and he's part of a group of defensemen, J.J. Moser and Sean Dersey. Like, there's three guys there who can really move the pocket, looks like now. So Kesselring, that was kind of a missing element from his game. He, you could see that he had the potential to be um, solid um, moving the puck, solid defensing. He just had to, it had to all come together for him, but it has. So this is the price you pay if you're a team in contention is if you trade away prospects i can come back to haunt you you know you're you're cashing in the chips so you can try to compete for the stanley cup but you're giving away a big piece of the future and that's exactly what happened with uh michael kesselring um is happening with michael kesselring he looks like he is going to stick in arizona you know it's it's still early days Lots can happen, but um, good for Castle Ring, and it's just a cautionary tale as I see it. And you know, in terms of being the conundrum, I think you probably, uh, as long as you have these great players, you got to go for it. You got to cash in your chips. But Castle Ring would be a nice, def- uh, you know, DeHarnay's a good bottom pairing defenseman. Kessel mm-hmm. Ring, though, in the long run, might might have a far superior career to, to DeHarnay. He seems to sh- be showing more offense, and he's he's quite a bit. He's about three or four years younger. So, Kessel Ring got called up five weeks ago. He's played sixteen games for Arizona. They won ten of them, and uh, he has uh, scored three goals now, five assists, eight points. Plus four, and obviously he's on a heater because he's just not playing enough minutes. Like he's typically somewhere between between ten and and sixteen minutes in a game. Looking at his game log, and he's third pairing all the way. But geez, what do you want from your third pairing? You know, he's got points. He's a plus player. Your team's winning games with him in there. And Nick Bukestad, meanwhile, is back in Arizona. Yeah. Also helping them win games, and the orders are looking up at Arizona in the standings. So stings uh stings a little, but you know you gotta you 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 gotta offer players, and I mean at least the orders got something for Kesselring, which is more than they got for uh, uh, Eric Gustafson, uh, and more than they realistically got for John Marino, which was two good draft choices they made where the guy never played a game for him, just like Kesselring, and now is an NHL player. And those are frustrating, from, a, from a, especially a guy like Gustafson where they just didn't sign him. And he went to, <laughs> went to another NHL team and signed there. At the other end of the spectrum, Bruce... Matthias Ekholm has just been killing it for the Oilers. Like he's he was great last year. He's great right now. And um, the player the Oilers traded, Reed Schaefer, still early, very early days. Right. So I'm not writing them off. 
but he has one goal in 24 games for the Milwaukee Admirals. So he's not exactly having a great rookie year so far in the AHL. They also got a first-round draft pick, and I'm just trying to see who did Nashville take with that draft pick this year. Kalen Lind. No, that's not it. That's just, that was their second-round pick. Nashville took Tanner Molendick of the Saskatoon Blades. Well, he's having a good year. He's got 28 points in 24 games, Molendick. Uh, he was taken 24th overall by Nashville. Is that what was that? Would that be the Oilers' pick, though? Must have been. Uh, they would have been. What were they? Yeah, that, no, that's right. Because the Oilers were eliminated fairly early in the playoffs there. So, yeah. 24th overall was the pick. 24th? Yeah, sounds about yeah. right. And he's doing okay. So we'll see. We'll see how that trade works out. But Eckholm, you know, if a player, that's why I like Holland's philosophy when he when he was trying to trade for a player last year. Like he wanted some guy with term on his contract. That's a heck of a good idea. Too bad Bukestad didn't have one more year at a reasonable price. Because, um, you know, the orders would be a little further ahead than they are right now in that deal. But you can't, not every trade can be perfect. And you, you had a, a hole to fill. You're trying to win the cup. You go for it. Yeah, well, you weren't going to get an extra year at 450000 which was what the cap hit was for Bukestad last year. That was his bargain basement. Yeah. Because they come because uh, uh, Arizona retained half of a 900 k salary. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Reed Schaefer, and I'll caution that, and I agree with you, that it's too early to write him off. And I'll say a couple things about Reed Schaefer. He's a big power forward. Uh, he's a late birthday, <clears throat> meaning he only got one jun- junior year after his draft before being thrust into pro hockey. So and the thing really is, it, it's those guys, the late birthdays, who actually wind up playing at the youngest age in the AHL because they only have one year left. So he played uh, when he was still 19 years old when he started. Yeah. And a real good comp for him, I think, is a guy we actually saw uh, playing in this game tonight, Tyler Pitlick who the Oilers selected with the number 32 overall draft pick in 2010. Identical. Was it 32? Maybe it was 31. Anyway, right at the same place. He was the first pick in the second round. And uh, um, or Schaefer was the last pick in the first round because the league had expanded between 2010 and 2022. But, you know, just right there at the bottom of the first round. And Pitlick was the same sort of general player, big, power forward, uh, 19 years old when he started, and he also had 19-year-old competition for the same job in Curtis Hamilton, so the Oilers really gummed it up there. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it took him a while, long while to come around, but you know what? He's played over 400 NHL games now, Tyler Pitlick. And I'm not saying Reed Schaefer is that player, but I'm not going to say he isn't that player, you know? And he might be, you know, he might play 400 games and score a bunch more goals than Tyler Pitlick did too, for that matter. But all I'll say for here right now is before Christmas in his rookie season, as a, especially on the younger side of the age curve uh, in the AHL is way too early. I like any rookie in the AHL. I like to judge their first half, like before New Year's versus what they do in the second half. And often they really take a springboard jump around midseason. Yeah, it is too early to 
to write off Reed Schaefer. And the other thing to keep in mind with Nashville's farm team is there's this is a farm team stacked with young talent. They've got uh, like former first round draft picks, 19 year old Joachim Kennel, 20 year old Fedor Svechkov, and 20 year old Zachary Larue. They're all um, doing well and all ahead of Schaefer at this point in the lineup, and they were taken higher in the draft. Mm-hmm. So there's just they they are really stacked with some fine young forward prospects in the Nashville farm system right now. So yeah, whereas Oilers not so much, not so much Bruce. They not traded so out so many of their top four round draft picks in recent years and then now they've started trading prospects actual prospects like Kesselring and Schaefer and the cupboard's pretty bare and they lost tonight in overtime yeah. in overtime Bakersfield did so yeah yeah they're uh, running on mute on the other screen if you, I was looking over a couple times I saw the winning goal you may have seen me grimace it was a four on three power play in overtime got a point Got a point. Raphael Lavoie, nine goals in 16 games. Tied it up. Xavier Bargo, 10 points in 21 games. So that's okay. Not great. Three times Elbers. they tied it up. Grub, Borgo, and Lavoie were the goal scorers. But How's Grub playing? Forge ahead. Fourth goal, but he's not there for his offense. He's a, yeah. a worker B defensive center. Right shot, big right shot defensive center. All right, Bruce, this will be our last podcast. Maybe we'll do one, um, like, I don't know. I don't know when we'll do the next one, 20, after 28th Christmas. is the next game. 28th, so we'll do one then yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, Bruce, let's uh, leave it there for tonight. Thank you for talking tonight, and Merry Christmas to you, Bruce. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, David, and to all of the uh, watchers and listeners of the Cult Hockey Podcast. We appreciate you, and compliments of the season to one and all. Thanks for listening. And in the meantime, and in between time, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey Podcast.